All right. So tonight we're finishing up First Kings. Dean uh, up here in the front was said, "I'm ready for a Christmas story." And uh, what's that? No. And so uh, I said, "Okay, I'm going to do my best to figure out a way to tie the Christmas story into this tonight, even though I wasn't planning on it." So we'll see if I can twist scripture. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, so uh, no. But uh, we are going to finish First Kings. This is the 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 last time I'll be in the pulpit with you until the new year. So I want to make sure we finish out First Kings. Now, last week we left off with the death of Ahab, and Ahab was a wicked, wicked king of Israel. Uh, we have been kind of following the kings of Israel for a few chapters now, but now we're going to go back into kind of switching back and forth between Israel and the kings of Judah. So we're in the, the time period of the divided kingdoms. If you remember, 10 tribes are considered Israel. Those are the tribes in the north. And then two tribes are considered Judah, which are the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. Uh, Benjamin kind of gets wrapped into Judah. And that's the divided kingdom. Each, each kingdom has, has a king and its own lineage of a king, and, and, uh, and we've been following that along. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll finish up First uh, Kings chapter 22. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. We pray, Lord, now that you would teach us in your word, help us to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us, Lord. We need you to provoke us towards faith and godliness, Lord. We pray that you would transform us. And we thank you so much for your witness in our lives. Pray now that uh, we might surrender ourselves to your word and be servants of your will. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in 1 Kings chapter 22. And we're starting out at verse 41. So we're going to finish up with Jehoshaphat and Ahaziah. And we'll, we'll just kind of read through this rather quick. But we're going to move into Chronicles to get a little bit more depth. Now, just to, before we start reading verse 41, if you remember, Ahab decided it was a great time to go to war against Syria, and he had invited Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, up to be a part of his celebration. Uh, Jehoshaphat uh, was united with Ahab through marriage, and while they were there kind of having a feast and hanging out, Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, hey, do you want to go to war with me? And Jehoshaphat actually asked a good question. He said, well, have we asked the Lord? Have we sought out the Lord before we go and do this? So they brought forth prophets, and everybody, 400 prophets were like, yeah, you should do this. And then Jehoshaphat said, well, isn't there any other prophet? And clearly Jehoshaphat understood that these guys were um, just uh, saying what Ahab wanted to hear. And then they brought forth uh, another prophet who spoke the truth, Micaiah. And he told Ahab that he would be, he would uh, <laughs> die in battle, and so he did. And Jehoshaphat um, survived the battle. So that's where we're picking up in verse 41. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. So four years after Ahab had become king, Jehoshaphat. So we're kind of backing up in time here. Verse 42, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi, 
And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. So we have a very positive commentary on Jehoshaphat, and then we have two negative things. The first thing is, is that Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father. Now, for the last few chapters here, as we've been reading through 1 Kings and reading the kings of Israel, it's been very negative. Whenever somebody walks in the ways of their fathers, it was to do evil, to do sin. But not so in the kingdom of Judah. We see that there is a godliness uh, within the kingdom of Judah, and it's going to come and go throughout the kings. But uh, unlike Ahab, who actually did worse than Jeroboam and did more evil than Jeroboam and and his father before him and all those things, uh, we see that Jehoshaphat actually uh, did uh, wanted to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He wanted to honor the Lord. Now, just skip down real fast to verse fifty one here in chapter twenty two, uh, so we can read about Ahaziah. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother, that's Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Remember, Jeroboam was the first king of Israel, and, uh, and he had turned Israel away from worshiping God in, in a way that was true and, and right. And so it says that uh, who had made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. So we have this contrast between the king of Judah and the kings of Israel. And we'll deal with Ahaziah in the new year. We'll come back over to him. But just to see that contrast that he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his fathers. But there's a different path we can take. And oftentimes I think uh, we get set in doing something because it's what has been modeled to us beforehand. And I want to challenge you on that. If you've had evil modeled to you beforehand, don't just accept it. I know you very well might be doing that. But, but the question is, is that what God wants for your life? Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Or like Ahaziah, are you doing what has been modeled and taught to you beforehand? See, God, there is a different way, and we can break those chains of uh, bondage uh, and that habitual nature that has been passed down to us. And I always love that. I was talking with one of our staff this week just about what God has done in their life. And I was telling her how amazing it is that out of her family, God has pulled her out of this habitual uh, cycle of failure, uh, of this habitual cycle of sin and just how different it is for her and what God has done in her life. You can just see how those chains have been broken with her and then her daughters. And you see that, that the cycle is all being broken because she's chosen to fear the Lord 
and walk in him. She's found the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who came to earth as a man, was born in Bethlehem. There it is. I just did it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and died on a cross for us. So, all right. <laughs> that was, okay. I, I did. I stretched it there. <laughs> all right. So, uh, going back to, to uh, verse 45, uh, Jehoshaphat did, walked in the ways of the Lord. Verse 45, now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the, 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 night, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the, uh, and the, rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. Remember, uh, we have these perverted persons. We're not totally sure what made them perverted. Uh, there's a lot of theories on this from, from uh, sexual acts, uh, sexual lifestyles to twisting of the law to occult worship. Whatever the case is, we know it is the opposite of walking in the fear of the Lord. It's an unsurrendered life, an unsubmitted life to God. And so, so we see that Asa actually, or uh, Jehoshaphat, saw them as dangerous to his people, and he banished them from the land. Uh, so um, then it goes on to say this. It says, uh, uh, there was no, then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to the Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Azion Geber, Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants and the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. So we see that the, he had a failed navy. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So the only two negative things that we see about Jehoshaphat's life really is that he uh, did not uh, get rid of the high places. The, he did not destroy the high places. They, he, they were not taken away. And that he aligned himself with Ahab. But let's go ahead and switch over to Second Chronicles chapter 17. And uh, because that's where we pick up with the life of Jehoshaphat. Now, Chronicles is actually going to give us a little more detail. And Jehoshaphat is actually a very interesting king. And that's why I wanted to save this week for its own week to talk about Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat models some very good things. And then he does some bad things. But with all of Jehoshaphat, I absolutely think we can see ourselves in him. Someone who wants to fear the Lord, who wants to do right but then slips and, and uh, starts doing their own thing and then goes, oh, Lord, I got to come back to you. And that's, that's kind of what Jehoshaphat does here. Uh, so let's go to verse 17, uh, 17 verse 1. And we're going to get more detail into Jehoshaphat's life. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the bells, but sought the, uh, the God of his fathers and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah gave presence to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor and abundance, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. 
Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. So we see here at the beginning, he does remove some of the high places. Uh, But more than that, I want to point out a couple of things. Verse 3, now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. And why was the Lord with Jehoshaphat? Well, it says because he walked in the former ways of his father David. Do you see how Jehoshaphat is actually now connected with King David? It's not like the other kings that are connected with their immediate father who does wickedness, but rather Jehoshaphat is connected with the man after God's own heart, the great psalmist of Israel, one who feared God and wanted to honor God and walk in his ways. Not a perfect man, but a man who feared God and wanted to walk after God. And so it says that, that he, but he sought God rather than, there's the contrast, he did not seek the bells, bells, but sought the God of his father. So he walked after the way of his father, and he did not seek bells, but sought the God of his fathers. Now, uh, that's a, an interesting question to ask. Who do you seek? Who do you seek during the week? Do you seek uh, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the news media? Who are you seeking? And uh, is it the God of, of your fathers? Is it the Lord God, the God of heaven and earth, the, the true one true God? Or are you seeking other things? That's a challenge. But we see here because Jehoshaphat made a choice to seek God, the God of his fathers. And, that he, and in seeking the God of his fathers, we see that he walked in his, uh, in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So there's a therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah uh, gave him an abundance of riches. So going on to verse 7, also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, uh, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Asael, Shemirmoth, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, I practiced these and now I'm stumbling on them, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priest. Now, you're like, okay, what's the deal with these names? We're starting to snooze here. Now, hold on. Look at this. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So Jehoshaphat, one of the greatest reforms Jehoshaphat did was teaching the word throughout Judah. He, he took the word and he went throughout teaching the people the word of God. He sent these, these priests and these leaders to take the word of God, the law of the Lord, and go teach others it. That is a wonderful commentary on the life of Jehoshaphat. And we're going to see he actually kind of deviates from this, but we'll see him return. So he made a good choice here. I'm going to teach the law of the Lord. Look at verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver and tribute, and the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. 
So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. So we see that that Jehoshaphat, by honoring God and doing the will of God and seeking God, God starts to just bless Jehoshaphat, and, and he protects Jehoshaphat. He causes the fear of the Lord to fall on all those surrounding cities or surrounding countries so that they're not attacking Judah and he's giving the chance for Judah to prosper just like he promised he would do in the law of God. God promised that if, if, the, if the people would honor him and, and uh, do what pleases him and keep the law of God, that he would bless them. And if they chose to walk away and follow the Baals and worship false gods, that he would curse them. And so Jehoshaphat believes God in his word, does God's word, and as a result, he starts being blessed. It kind of reminds you a little bit of Solomon and the way Solomon started out. Solomon started out where the, the, the people around Solomon had been defeated. God had, was protecting uh, Israel during Solomon's reign. And then on top of that, he was lavishing Solomon uh, with an abundance of riches just because he was blessing them. So Jehoshaphat did uh, some very, very good things. Now let's go to verse 18. Or sorry, chapter 18. We're going to skip over uh, 14 through 19 in Second Chronicles. We're going to jump over to 18 verse 1. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. Now here's where we have a problem. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Now, we read that last week. We're going to skip over a section. But what I want to point out to you is that Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and then comes the bad decision. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us to, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but with sober judgment. Uh, we're supposed to be de- have dependence upon the Lord because the fact is, is when we start doing well, when we start uh, being successful, when we stop walking in faith and start living by sight or, or uh, in our affluence, we tend to start making bad decisions. And this isn't just uh, a Jehoshaphat problem. It's not just a Jewish problem that, like we saw with the wilderness wanderings of Israel. This is a human condition. And, and it's a sad condition of the human nature that uh, we love our independence and the problem is sometimes we think we can be independent from the Lord God, and it's a mistake. And I want to just encourage you and warn you now to always give your dependence, uh, put your dependence upon God and, uh, and never grow independent from God. You always want to be dependent upon the Lord God. And uh, even when things are going well, you want to continually worship him and keep your focus upon him. And if you felt yourself being drawn away to be independent, to start trusting in your abundance, in your riches, well, I want to encourage you to really repent of that. Use uh, this evening as a moment, a time 
to, to say, Lord, you know, I've been growing in independence from you, and that was wrong. It was sinful, and I want to be totally dependent upon you. And so, uh, so we see that uh, Jehoshaphat made this mistake. Now, Psalm 97, verse 10, if you can pull up Psalm 97, verse 10. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. The reason I wanted to share this verse with you is Jehoshaphat should have hated evil. He should have found himself aligning himself with evil. He should have, because he's the one who loves the Lord, he should have hated evil. And this is where we see that there's a compromise and a mistake on his part that it says he he aligned himself with Ahab. He allied himself with Ahab through this marriage relationship. He didn't need Ahab. God was protecting him. There was nothing he was gaining from Ahab. In fact, actually what we learn from this passage is that Ahab needed Jehoshaphat. Ahab needed Jehoshaphat to take back uh, Ramoth Gilead. Uh, Not the other way around. And we know that during this battle, if you remember, Ahab convinced Jehoshaphat to wear his king robes, but Ahab would disguise himself. And during that battle, and, and for whatever reason, Jehoshaphat says, okay. And uh, during that battle, they start pursuing Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, it says, cries out to the Lord. And then they turned and they, they realized that, okay, the, no king of Israel would ever cry out to the Lord. That must be the king of Judah. We're, gonna, we're following the wrong guy. And, of course, eventually we see that arrow that shot and kills Ahab. Um, so uh, those who... Love the Lord, hate evil. And I want to encourage you, don't ally yourself with evil. And, and sometimes it's tempting to, to think that we have, you know, the, the, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so to speak. And I would discourage you from that idea. I mean, yeah, that might work in secular things. But uh, certainly that's not the way Christians conduct themselves. Well, we want to stand for truth always, never compromise, and always trust the Lord God. Because we don't need anyone else but the Lord God. So going on, we're going to skip over now to chapter 18, verse... Uh, actually, sorry, we're going to skip to chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safety, safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani... The seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, and that you have uh, removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So the prophet comes out and asks Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Um, what fellowship does darkness have with light? How can two, the two of you uh, be yoked together? As Paul puts it in Corinthians, that darkness and light have no fellowship. You, you can't be yoked together this way. You should ne- you're a king of Judah. You stand for righteousness. You should have never allied yourself with the king of Israel in this manner. And, and this is a wake-up call to, to Jehoshaphat. 
as it says, therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. I'm sure that Jehoshaphat at this point in time was, uh, was terrified because it seems like, he seems like the man who, who realized, what did I do? Now God shows his grace to Jehoshaphat and God uh, is gracious with him. And we, we, we see this, it says, so Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat verse four, dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, take heed to what you're doing, for you do not judge for the man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore, let the fear of the, uh, the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. So Jehoshaphat experiences some of the grace of God as he comes back and, it, it, and we see him turn back to the Lord. He receives this reminder. And I want to say this about Jehoshaphat. This is good, a good pattern to follow. If you've wandered away, if you started allying yourself with evil, if you've started uh, living for yourself in independence from God versus dependence upon God, this is the, the route you should take, a repentance. And this is really what Josephat does. Uh, I love the fact that it says, he dwelt in Jerusalem, went out again to the people, and all with the effort to bring them back to the Lord God of their fathers. So somewhere along the line as Jehoshaphat slipped, so did the people. And Jehoshaphat committed himself that, no, we've got to have a revival in this land. And he went out leading the way, and the people turned back to the Lord God. That's, it's wonderful that Jehoshaphat did this. And uh, I want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Because Jehoshaphat did this, but we also recognize that God put it in Jehoshaphat. And Philippians 2, verses 12 through uh, 13 kind of puts it best. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now hold on to that real fast. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a, sometimes a troubling verse, and I think it's because uh, when we read this, we tend to pick it up as, uh, I've got to work for my salvation, but that's not what it says. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and truly, this means that because you're in the Lord, work it out. Put it on display. Live out your salvation because that's who you are. Jehoshaphat needs to live out his salvation in front of all the people. Uh, so that, that idea. And then verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the reason why I love this passage, verses 12 and 13, is because we have the, we have the hey, we want to do good things. We want to put our Savior on display as we live out our lives. We want to put this righteousness from God that comes through faith on display. We want to be a light for God. But it's all because of God, for it is God who works in you so we can work it out. Does that make sense? God works in us 
uh, in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we see that the Lord is doing the work inside of us, and the produce of that work inside of us is that we are able to work it out before everyone else, that, that they'll see this, and it's for God's good pleasure. So Jehoshaphat had, turns back to the Lord. Uh, clearly, God is working in Jehoshaphat. He's convicted Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat understands this, and he starts working it out, starts going back to the people, drawing them back to the Lord. And it's, it's really beautiful how he does that, uh, how God shows him this wonderful mercy. Now, Jehoshaphat tells the judges, he put, appoints judges, and he gives some good advice to the judges. Verse 6 says that, he says, take heed to what you're doing, for you do not judge for, the man, for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Now, I want to say this about these, uh, this instruction. This is truly some of the best instruction a judge or someone who, who uh, makes rulings over individuals or those who are given authority, should, should, you should take heed to this, that you do not judge for man but for the Lord. And understand that the Lord, in the Lord, there is no iniquity. So God does not compromise. We compromise all the time. In fact, there is a saying that becomes common among uh, men, mankind, and that's uh, uh, oftentimes it's like, well, it's, it's the, 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 the greater of two evils, right? Or uh, it's, it's uh, the, the, the best we can do, so to speak. And listen, Christians should never settle for the greater of two evils. I, I understand if you choose, like if you're choosing to vote for somebody, you choose to limit evil, but don't ever choose the best of two evils. That's not, God, there's no iniquity in God. And, and if you're in a place where you are a judge or a person in authority who has to make decisions between people, you need to fear the Lord and recognize that God has is, is put you in a position where you're, you're going to be judged. You're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to judge you uh, for how you represented him to the people. And this is every judge. And don't you wish that our justices, our judges, would fear the Lord this way? I I, I was trying to find it before the, the message tonight, but I couldn't find it. One of the Supreme Court justices in this new case coming up uh, about abortion uh, made a statement, and I'm, I'm summarizing this, so it, it may sound a little wrong, but he was more concerned with keeping the institution and the trust of the American people in the institution of the Supreme Court than, uh, than he was with overturning uh, the the abortion cases uh, because of these new things and and I, I thought about that for, and uh, my understanding when I looked it up is the the trust in the Supreme Court is already is at an all time low. Uh, most Americans believe that it's become politicized in one way or the other. Uh, of course, uh, now we we we've been so fortunate to have some justices appointed that actually want to have constitutionality in their decisions. And that, that is wonderful. But the idea to make a, hey, listen, we need to, to not overturn this or not rock the boat on abortion because we need people to continue to trust in the Supreme Court. One, that's serving man, not fearing God. 
right? That's fear, the fear of man, not the fear of God. Two, do they really think that if they make a decision uh, to not overturn, that people are going to trust them more given the knowledge that we have of the womb and how much different it is from when they first even passed Roe v. Wade. Uh, and uh, was that 50 years ago, Roe v. Wade, or 40? I, I can't remember. Um, I was hoping Stephen Crandall would help me on that one. Oh, 73, okay, yeah. So that would be um, exactly 43, 48 years ago, 48 so I was born in 76. It was a great year I was born. All right, anyway. <laughs> That's for my mom and dad who are watching right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're welcome, mom and dad. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so uh, it's important that, uh, that uh, these judges fear the Lord and take care and do it. There's no iniquity in the Lord God. Uh, John Adams observed this. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Our, our constitution, our, our, our democratic republic, only can hold up if we have moral and religious people. Why is that? It's because people who fear the Lord God. If you don't fear God then you're definitely not going to do what is right. You're going to do what is evil. And John Adams observed that. It wasn't just John Adams, in fact. Uh, We also see that James Madison wrote that our Constitution requires sufficient virtue among men for self-government. Otherwise, nothing less than the chains of despotism can restrain them from destroying and devouring one another. It's so true. We need a virtuous people, a God-fearing people for any nation to stand. So verse 8 says, Moreover in Jerusalem for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Now do you see what Jehoshaphat's saying? He's saying, act in the fear of the Lord and with a loyal heart, not to me, to God. I want you to act in the fear of the Lord and with a loyal heart. It's about the Lord. He ultimately is king, not me. This is, he's a good leader, Jehoshaphat. He, he's pointing everyone in his kingdom to God. And this is really what a, a, a good leader does. It, it points people to the Lord God. Uh, that, that leader points people to the Lord God. So uh, he says, whatever case, verse 10, comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offense against the law or commandment, against statues or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters, also the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. Behave courageously. Isn't that interesting that even with a king who is encouraging you 
to follow God and do what God wants, he has to admonish the judges and the leaders to behave courageously. King Jehoshaphat knows that there's always going to be a temptation to do what is easy, to do what is simple, to take the shortcut, to do what is, is wrong, to support, uh, to, to make a decision on behalf of, of the wrongful party in some way, to, to support the one, you know, the, the, well, I really like that guy, and now, yeah, I know he accidentally killed his neighbor or killed his neighbor, but, you know, he was a good guy, or I know he really, he actually stole those things. And Jehoshaphat admonished him, not accidentally stole, I know that he stole those things, but, you know, he was nice overall. Uh, but Jehoshaphat says, no, you're not to show partiality. You're not to rule in these ways. You're supposed to behave courageously. You know, it takes uh, courage for us to behave in such a way that is godly. Isn't that sad? That it actually takes great courage? I, I, I uh, love in Corinthians when Paul tells the men, act like men, be, be of courage, act like men. You know, um, it, it's just a, kind of a beautiful saying that, that uh, you know, you ask yourself, why do I need to be reminded to be courageous? Why do I need to remind, be reminded to be of good courage, to, to act like a man? That this is the standard of manhood, men. Why do we need to be reminded? Well, it means that you and I have a penchant to do the opposite. And we should, we should heed that warning. That you and I have a, a, a pension, our sin nature comes in, and we have a pension to do what is not courageous and what is not honoring to the Lord. Uh, and the Lord will be with you uh, with the good if you behave courageously. So I want to encourage you as you walk with the Lord this week that you behave courageously. That, that you, don't, you don't fall or succumb to those things of the world that make you compromise, that is the easy shortcut way, but you would say, no, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to be courageous. I want to stand for you in righteousness. And so for some of us, that might be in our workplace because in your workplace, you might feel that there's pressure and you're pressured to act like the rest of the individuals around you. I know for me, it's very difficult in my workplace. I'm surrounded by, by these individuals that are always encouraging me. I'm just kidding, Corey. So... <laughs> So, <laughs> Corey's like, wait, what? <laughs> I work in the office next to you. <laughs> so, no, but uh, in all seriousness, you act courageously. You stand for the Lord. You represent him wherever you go. And, uh, and uh, may the Lord bless you in this. So let's go ahead and pray, and, and uh, we'll finish out with worship. Lord, we do thank you for the life of Jehoshaphat and the wonderful example he is in honoring you. Lord, uh, of course, we always want to do better, and we're, we're key to critique the things that Jehoshaphat did wrong, but Lord, you are the judge, and we let you make the judgments, and Lord, if we can be men, men of you, men who fear you and walk in you, I should say men and women who fear you and walk with you, men and women who are courageous for you, that we stand up for righteousness, and we don't hide from doing the good, Lord. Help us to educate others about you. Lord, let us be faithful with your great commission. And we thank you so much, Jesus, for the wonderful gift of you becoming a man, being born uh, into this world, 
and ready to die for us to take our sins upon yourself. We give you all the thanks and praise. And now bless our worship and our time this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. God is with you. May he bless you and keep you this week. I hope to see you on Christmas Eve. Now, uh, may his peace be upon you. Amen. Amen.